What's going on, citizens of Creep City? My name is Matt Schotch, and I'm coming at you over the airwaves of the internet. This is Radio for the Creeps. Tonight on Radio for the Creeps, we're going to talk about Cannibal Holocaust. Um, I was initially going to name this episode my first video nasty, and I'm rethinking it because I realize that not a lot of people know what a video nasty is, and people are probably going to assume that I'm talking about porn. I'm not talking about porn. I'm talking about horror. Um, Video Nasty is a name given to horror films that are deemed so terrible, so vile. They're banned and censored and, you know, all of these other things. They kick up all this fuss. And for a good long period of time, there was a running list of Video Nasties that, you know, um, I believe it originated with the BBFC, which is the British Board of Film Censors. I believe that's where the term Video Nasty and the entire kind of fight against them started. But either way, I don't think the BBFC is the only group that would deem Cannibal Holocaust a video nasty. Um, It just, it has become one of those terms that everyone knows, you know, the video nasties. The people who are into these kind of gore and horror films, you know, they know what a video nasty is. In case any of you don't, chances are you've heard the, the borderline urban legends from friends about, you know overdubbed or redubbed versions of faces of death and things like that on VHS cassettes when you were a kid. Um, basically those are the video nasties that we know. Uh, Cannibal Holocaust though, uh, came out in, uh, I want to say it was, yeah. Oh, my notes, February 7th, 1980, it came out. And within 10 days it was seized by the Italian government as being, you know, uh, too vile and revolting for their cinemas. Um, they actually brought the director, Ruggiero Diodato, up on charges for the film. Um, he had to bring... There's a lot of... Before I continue with that story, let me stop right there and say there are a lot of tales and legends about the movie Cannibal Holocaust. And honestly, coming from someone like Diodato, who is very much a sensationalist, um, very into the Mondo kind of thing, and he wants the he he somewhat relishes in the um, controversy around his film. To trust all of these stories as gospel is tricky. Now, I will say it is known for a fact that it was a video nasty. It was banned in over like fifty countries or something like that. Um, it after, ten days after airing in the first theater, it was uh, seized by the Italian government. That's all true. From there, things have a tendency to become kind of campfire story. So we're going to talk a lot this episode about, you know, the reception to Cannibal Holocaust. And we're also going to talk about what makes it important and what makes it kind of still problematic, even though it is important and how complicated that can be and all of that in this episode. Um, But I will try to denote when I'm going down a campfire story path to make sure that I'm not misleading anyone listening. But yeah, I mean, there's a tale bringing it back to where I was before I started that huge disclaimer. There's a tale that Diodato had to bring in one of the actors uh, from the film in order to prove that they weren't really dead. You know, had to, he, he, he loves to be interviewed and tell people I had to bring the actor into court to prove that they weren't dead. Otherwise they were going to jail me for killing actors. Whether or not that's true, I'm not sure, but it certainly is true that cannibal Holocaust kicked up some fuss and rightfully so. Um, there's things in it that I don't agree with. There's things in it that I don't like. Um, unlike any other horror movie in my collection, it's one that I watch and I cringe and I kind of, 
you know, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a tough watch. Um, whereas other movies I, I, I know and love, uh, maybe especially the more exploitative ones, I can see what's wrong with them showing that, but then there's always that like moment of, you know, uh, it's not the entire basis of the film. I mean, the only other one that makes me squirm quite as much as Cannibal Holocaust, I would have to say Spit on Your Grave. Um, that's definitely one of those um, exploitation kind of, you know, rape revenge movies that really makes me squirm. And there's not a lot of moments in it. And Last House on the Left, of course, actually come to think of it too. There's not a lot of moments in it where I'm, where I get, a, you know, like I, I feel like the movie takes the foot off the gas. Um Every other horror movie that I know and love, there's those moments where you're, you know, the the foot comes off the pedal and you can catch your breath a little. Cannibal Holocaust, um, you know, like I said, Spit on Your Grave, Last House on the Left, even Last House on the Left would have to be further down that line. But Cannibal Holocaust is the number one film that does not let its foot off the gas, and it's unnerving and upsetting 100% of the way through. Um, so of course, there's parts in it that I don't think need to be there or so on and so forth but we're gonna get into all that in a bit um i'm kind of getting ahead of myself here uh cannibal holocaust my first video nasty as much as i hate saying that it sounds like i'm telling you guys a porn story um yeah my first video nasty was cannibal holocaust going back to being a young kid i had a friend who had this horror movie that he knew his parents protected this horror movie the tape of this horror movie like they protected the porn you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, this wasn't like the horror movie that's in dad's, you know, a shoebox in dad's closet. This was like a horror movie that was in a shoebox tucked under the stairs behind a bunch of old winter clothes no one wears anymore. Like they protected this horror movie like it was porn. Um, being youngsters, I, I was in middle school at the time, sixth or seventh grade, I can't remember. So I was, a you know, early uh, teens, you know. Uh, so sixth or seventh grade me and this kid are like, yeah, we're going to watch this horror movie, man. This is going to be a badass horror movie. You know, we knew it wasn't porn, but we were, we knew that it was protected as, I mean, more so than the, you know, the Freddies and Jasons and all that, that stuff that, uh, our parents all had that we got our hands on and watched. And it was just kind of, our parents would go, ah, there you, you're going to have nightmares. You know, this was not a, ah, you're going to have a nightmare kind of thing. This was like a, don't you fucking touch that tape. You know? Um, so of course we did, you know, like the first chance we got, we, we grabbed it and watched it. And the first viewing of it, we didn't get through the whole, it was a shitty VHS that had been like dubbed a million different times in ways and had been eaten by like 47 VCRs before we ever got our hands on it. And so it was a terrible experience. Um, you know, it was just the worst. We didn't really, number one, we didn't get to see the entire thing. Uh, I want to say parents came home or something that interrupted us, but we definitely didn't make it all the way to the end of the film. But number two, what we did see, it was kind of hard to really talk about what we saw because it was through scan lines and crackles and big chunks cut out and shit like that. Um, I don't remember a lot of, there's a lot of violence against animals in Cannibal Holocaust, which we'll go deeper into in a little bit. Um, but I know that I didn't see all of the violence against animals because later in life, when I watched it again, I was kind of doing the whole, okay, I know when to look away thing. And it got to this part where I was like, yeah, but this isn't the animal part. And then they kill an animal and you're like, fuck me, man. I thought I knew where all of these scenes were. And I, apparently I didn't. Um, so I know that I didn't see some of them. 
um, through researching this, I found out that earlier versions of it were going back to like early 90s. But in the early 90s, any versions of it that you might come across had a lot of that stuff cut out because it was uh, still, even even for the like, you know, the smaller groups that were releasing these things, uh, it was still too much. And so a lot of that stuff was also still cut out. The version you can get now has all of it, all the, everything in there. And so if you haven't seen this movie since, you know, the heyday of VHS, I'm going to warn you, there's more animal death in it than you know. Um, a lot of that stuff was removed in some of those previous versions. But anyway, um, so we watched it, and like I said, terrible version of it, um, terrible, you know, copy of it and all that. And um, yeah, when it was over, my friend and I, we were like, that wasn't really scary, you know? Like, okay, so they're cannibals, um, but it wasn't really scary. And we didn't know any of the history. I mean, again, you know, we weren't scrambling on the internet to Google all about it and things like that. We didn't know anything about it, really. Um, and so we basically passed it off as just kind of a not-that-scary horror movie. It was a fucked-up horror movie. We knew that. We had a concept of that. Some of the, you know, the violence in it and things like that and the way people were acting, we we got the gist of it, but it wasn't... To us, it didn't carry the weight of like, oh my God, we just watched a video nasty, you know, like we didn't know. Um, and we were more scared of, you know, Freddie getting us in our dreams than, you know, um, indigenous people in South America or whatever. So it just didn't really hit us. Now, fast forward a year or two and it hit us harder than it probably should have even. So let's get into that now. So now, skip ahead. I'm not sure exactly how long. I know I was still around middle school age, so it couldn't have been more than a year or two tops. Uh, my, my group of friends grew a bit. You know, some more punk rockers came into the fold, and one of them mentioned this cannibal holocaust. Of course, we all were like, yeah, we've seen that. You know, like, we've seen that, that one. That's a, yeah, it's pretty decent. You know, it's cool. What do you think about it? And, you know, this person goes off on this tangent about, well, you know, Cannibal Holocaust is 100% real. Everything filmed in it is real death, real this, real that, blah, blah, blah. That's why it's so hard to get your hands on it. And we just, like, our our gut fell out of our ass because we were like, we witnessed real death on a VHS tape. What You know, like, it was heavy, right? We thought, at least. We thought it was super heavy. We didn't realize that the truth lies somewhere in the middle. Whereas when we first watched it, we were like, well, you know, this isn't that scary. Not knowing any of it was real. Then, you know, new friend shows up and is like, no, that movie's 100% real, man. You know, like one of those faces of death types who's like, you know, everything on faces of death is real. I have a copy in my locker. Hang on, let's, we'll, we'll go watch it after school. You know, that guy, he was like, everything in Cannibal Holocaust is real, man. It's all 100% real, super gnarly, video nasty. Dirt, dirt. And we were like, whoa, shit. Really, the truth was, the animal killings in it are real. It's shot in a way to make it all seem real, you know, being the, I want to say, first found footage film. Anyway, it's a found footage style, so it's all shot in a, in, in a way to make you think it's real and all that. Um, but yeah, it's really only the animal killings that are real. But either way, young us, we were like, oh, fuck, man. We felt like we had, like, touched death, you know, like we met death, stared in the face on a VHS tape, you know. When really it was animals. But, uh, so yeah, that's my 
cannibal Holocaust story. So, but by that point we couldn't locate the tape again and all that, you know, um, couldn't get our hands on it again for sure. This is where the story gets kind of weird. Fast forward another, you know, I don't know, I'm out of high school at this point and it was Christmas time and I'm shopping for Christmas gifts. And, um, this was during DVDs being like the shit. Blu-rays weren't a thing yet. So DVDs were the thing. I was shopping for Christmas gifts and I don't know, I stopped off at like, it wasn't like a tower records as much as the lettering and everything was like the same color scheme as tower. It was called like, I don't know, like tall building records or some knockoff bullshit like that, that we had in like the, the hood in Jersey. And, um, so I was in your friendly hood, uh, DVD and music store and I found a single copy uh, way in the back, you know, buried somewhere of like a cardboard boxed version. It actually was very similar to the Grindhouse releasing version that I have now on Blu-ray. I don't know if it was Grindhouse releasing then that did it or not. I can't remember and I'll explain why I no longer have this Blu-ray in a minute. So I, I stumbled across this Grindhouse releasing DVD of the most controversial film ever made, Band in 50 Countries. It's Cannibal Holocaust, you know, and... um so I'm out shopping for other people for Christmas, and I was like, I'm going to get me a gift. It's time for me to get myself a little something, and I'm going to get this terrible DVD that I'll probably never watch. Um, so I bought it. Now, somewhere around like 17 years ago, one of the few times I actually loaded up and watched that DVD, uh, I showed it to my now wife, who at the time was just my girlfriend, and... Um, it was pretty funny because I was like, you're into horror, I'm into horror. You want to see like one of the most controversial films ever made, you know, and... I told her I'd warn her about all the animal killings. Well, first off, I failed miserably because I didn't remember their precise locations. And there were, again, like I said, more in there than I had recalled. So I kind of put her off Cannibal Holocaust pretty early on. Um, we were watching the movie and it was like, you know, all of a sudden kill an animal. And I was like, oh, yeah, wait. And there's that one, you know, trying to be cool guy in front of my girlfriend. I was like, oh, and that one, yeah. Well, I, yeah, that one slipped my mind. Oh, and then there's another dead animal. Sorry about that. Oh, and the pig. Yeah, sorry about the pig. And the turtle. Crap. Yeah, all right. So there's a lot of animal killing in it. I mean, she tried to hang tough like a trooper. Next thing you know, she left the room to go get a snack. And it was one of those kind of hilarious moments. It's a story we often still tell where I'm like, hey, you know, hun, do you want me to pause the movie for you? So, you know, while you're getting your snacky and from the, the kitchen, she yelled back and was like, no, no, it's all right. You go ahead without me. And next thing you know, the entire movie played and she didn't come back. Um, my, my wife now who, uh, you know, I've been with since has never to this day watched the entirety of cannibal Holocaust. It's just not, it's not for everyone. And that's not a judgment. I'm not mocking anybody. Um, it definitely is not for everyone. Um, so yeah. Oh, that's where I was. So that Blu-ray, I had that Blu-ray. I had watched it like, I mean, again, like I said, while I think this movie's important, I'm going to get to how I, why I think it's important in a bit. But like I said, I think this movie's important and I think it's important. Like, I feel like when I do see it come up, you know, somewhere, a Blu-ray or a DVD or whatever, I end up grabbing it and I have it in my collection. I, it's not a movie that I'm just like on a random Tuesday. I'm just like, I'm going to throw in Cannibal Holocaust and enjoy it. It's not, that's not how I watch the movie. Um, so I could really count on one hand how many times I watched that DVD I had back then, remember from Tall Building Records or whatever the hell it was called. Um, fast forward a bit more and I was working on a show on HGTV called uh, Dina's Party and I was um, working with some other folks there that 
from across the board interested in all different things. And one of the guys on the design team um, was really into horror. And I got into onto the topic of Cannibal Holocaust, of course. Again, I just, I don't know why this movie, I, I don't know. I tell everybody about it because I feel like it is, there's a lot of things in it that are important. And I think the tale of Cannibal Holocaust is even greater than the film almost in a lot of ways. So anyway... I told this guy about Cannibal Holocaust. I said, I have it on DVD. It was such a great find to find the one copy in this little tiny DVD place. I haven't seen it anywhere else on DVD. You know, this is so cool. You know, growing up as a kid, it was like this this VHS tape that played as if somebody had pulled all the tape out, wiped their ass with it, and put it back in the, the cassette player. Um, that was my last experience with it. So having a DVD was like mind-blowing at the time of it, you know? Um, and I, he was like, you got, oh man, I'd love to see it. And I, so I loaned it to him and I never got it back. I'm still mad about that, Kenny. So, uh, one of these days, me and you are gonna have to reconcile about my stolen cannibal Holocaust DVD because that really bums me out, dude. Um, but anyway, I never got it back. And I honestly was like, uh, you know, I could live without this. Well, apparently I can't. Because Grindhouse Releasing did a Blu-ray, I was on there getting ready to order my Beyond, um, which, speaking of, the Beyond, uh, Lucio Fulci, one of my favorite horror directors, he had, he's obviously not with us anymore, but June 17th was Lucio Fulci's birthday, Um, so quick break from all the Cannibal Holocaust crap, let's say uh, happy birthday Lucio Fulci, he's missed, and if I can recommend four movies that you watch as your Lucio Fulci homework, it would be Zombie, House by the Cemetery, City of the Living Dead, and The Beyond. The Beyond is my favorite Fulci film. You should check it out. Anyway, June 17th was Fulci's birthday. Happy birthday, Fulci. Um, so I was on, oh yeah, that's where I was. Grindhouse releasing, getting uh, Blu-ray of The Beyond. And I saw that they had Cannibal Holocaust, and I was like, you know, I'm going to do it again because I feel like it's an important movie and I want to have it in my collection. Uh, I got it. I got it here. Now, you guys know I'm pretty you know, liberal with what we let Mo see as far as horror. There are certain films that just are way outside of that, and I would never dream of letting her be in the room when they're on. Um, usually it depends on sexual violence, actual violence, or, you know, those kinds of themes. There's, uh, you know, because you can, you can get through a lot of horror kind of generally in the house where it's not it's not that traumatic to the kid because the kid's not sitting down, eyes peeled, looking at it. You know, it's not like that. So Cannibal Holocaust, obviously, though, never plays in my house when my kid's awake. To the extent that when I watched it again in prep for this episode, I even watched it with the volume down so that my daughter wouldn't wake up and maybe hear some of this horror happening, right? So, yeah, uh, every time I see it come up, you know, I, I end up I end up with a copy of it. This is, you know the second copy I've owned. I didn't own the VHS tape. That wasn't mine. Um, But I owned it on DVD. Now I own it on Blu-ray. And I really don't watch it very often because it is definitely tough to get through. But one of the things I do want to note for anybody out there who might be thinking about heading over to Grindhouse Releasing's shop to pick up the Blu-ray, one of the nice things about the Blu-ray is they have an animal cruelty-free version. You can select that and it's all edited out and you don't have to watch any of that animal cruelty, which is actually pretty nice because there are some points in it where, I mean, the camera doesn't pull away. It's very like, it's very shocking. You know, the rest of it, you can tell yourself like any exploitation movie, you can like kind of say to yourself, well, that's not real. You know, that's kind of put on for the sake of 
either making, you know, a villain, a villain or, you know, motivation here, there, where, whatever, however you want to talk about it. But the, uh, animal killing, you know, because it is so real and the camera is so locked on it in that Mondo style, uh, it can be upsetting. So it's nice that Grindhouse has that cruelty free version for you. Um, yeah, but we are going to talk a bit more. I don't want to keep bringing up the animal cruelty situation, but it's important in a couple of different ways. And so, you know, I, I do think that there's an element to this that, fuck it, we'll tell the story out of order here because whatever, I usually run these podcasts super ADD anyway. I don't have notes that I follow and I'm all over the joint anyhow. Um, so fuck it, let's just wing it. Um Let's talk more about the animal stuff now and get it done with so we can move on to other things. Um, part of the importance of the animal cruelty in the film, and I know that's super tough to say. I hate myself for even saying it. There is a layer of it, though, that makes sense in the context of the film. I personally am of the opinion that you can do all of this with special effects. It doesn't need to be real. But that said, part of the animal cruelty, you know, the things that you see and all that the director clearly wanted real things happening inter you know interspliced or however you want to put it throughout this film because the premise of the film completely lives and dies on your belief that it's real right i mean we're going we're going back before the days of blair witch and all of that stuff um so you know this being again i'm saying it and i'm i want to say i'm sure of this it's the first found footage film really and um, so, the, you know, the premise of the film hinges on whether or not the audience believes that it's real. And so to that end, a case can be made that the animal violence is part of establishing the reality of this, just like the shaky cameras and the handheld stuff and the quote unquote behind the scenes footage of the people in the in the film, um, all of that lends itself to the reality aspect of it. It all helps kind of reinforce the reality aspect of it. Now, here's the other side of the coin, because I don't, I can make a point without firmly believing it as well. You know, human beings, we're capable of so many crazy things, but um, the other side of the coin is, if you can achieve some of the other scenes of gore and violence in there, you can achieve fake gore and violence on animals. Uh, so, you know, I don't think it's a complete and total cop-out. I mean, not complete and total cop It's not a complete and total cop-out because there is some establishing reason for it, um, but it's also not completely and totally necessary either. So, yeah. Um, you know, there's a lot of films from Days Gone where real animal violence exists in those films, and it's almost always done for the sake of creating a sense of reality around it, I just, uh, personally, I'm of the opinion that you don't need to actually kill an animal for that. I think that, you know, spend a couple of bucks and, and do it with special effects or, you know, however you want to achieve it, fine. But, I, I, you know, while I understand the motivation for including the animal killing, I also understand that it's never necessary. That's a stupid concept, right? I would never argue that it's completely necessary that we use real animals and kill them in this film. So, yeah. Now that we've alienated all the animal lovers in, in the radio, in, in Creep City, um, let's move on to something else. I really want to stop talking about the animals because, yes, there is real animal death in it, but there's more to this film. And I think, my opinion at least, is that a lot of 
the detractors for cannibal Holocaust, they start and stop with the animal violence. And I understand that, that, you know, to some people, that's just something that's important enough where that's, that's it. That's where they draw the line done. You know, the movie, throw it out. Then I get that. I understand it, but I want to go further than that. And I think that often when you're discussing uh, cannibal Holocaust, it stops there. Um, and it's really strange because some of the other shit in this movie is way out there as well. But the animal stuff, a lot of people are just like, yep, nope, you heard a monkey, fuck it, you're done, you know. Um, in total, there's a muskrat, um, a monkey, a pig, and a turtle that all end up getting killed. Uh, oh, and a spider, sorry, like a big, nasty tarantula spider. Um, those five animal deaths are all real. If you're watching the movie and you see any of those animals come up, you might want to look away or... If you've got the movie through Grindhouse, you want to watch the the cruelty-free version, the animal cruelty-free version for sure. All right. So now I promise we're not going to talk anymore about animal death. So I just realized that this whole time we've been talking about Cannibal Holocaust, I never once really went over what the film is about. I just took for granted that we all knew this movie. <clears throat> so the film is about a group of documentary filmmakers that set out into the jungle to shoot a documentary about the indigenous people that live there. There's two different tribes that live in the region and they're going to, you know, film a documentary documentary about the region and about the two tribes. Now, the problem is this film crew is notoriously shitty. Okay. You know, calling people shitty on radio for the creeps has become kind of a running theme this season. We we're always identifying the shitty ones. And the film crew is definitely the shitty ones. Um, the running themes of who's the real monster, it's the film crew, period, end of. Uh, so they, um, they're they a sensationalized, uh, a sensationalist film crew. They, you know, if they aren't getting the footage that's dramatic and intense and brutal enough, they make it so. Um, and so that's where, you know, that that's kind of their whole deal. Um they're lost out in the woods. They end up never returning. And so an anthropologist goes out to try and find them. And when he finds the two tribes, he realizes these are, you know, um, they're indigenous people who live a specific way, but he realizes that they're, they're not going to hurt him if he's not a threat to them. And so he works with them cooperatively, trades a audio recorder for the lost tapes. He returns to New York with the lost tapes. And, um, yeah, basically then it's about what's on these tapes, the footage, and, and what happened over there. And what they end up, they come to realize is that the, the film crew went over there, acted like a bunch of assholes, burned down villages, hurt people, killed animals, um, raped and abused women from the tribe, filmed it all until inevitably uh, one of the tribes uh, basically killed them all. So... The reason it's important, though, as a film, there's a baseline, which is this is pretty much the first found footage film. It does a lot of the things that you see echoed through all found footage all the way up until, you know, the film's being made today. Um, so it's, it's definitely groundbreaking for its time. Um, there's a point to be made there about how the um, the studio, when the anthropologist, when the anthropologist returns to New York, the studio wants to run this anyway, even though it's terrible and the people all died and all that. And there's this this debate over what is too much in the media and, and what is too much um, to show, 
basically. And, and what's, where is the line? Do we just edit out all of the horrible things these people did over there to the, the tribes and, and then show the rest of it or what, you know? So there's a, there's a narrative, like a, a, a deeper theme there that we'll get into. So now, uh, there's a couple of behind the scenes things I want to mention. First off, it's directed by Ruggiero Diodato. Um, the other thing I'd like to say is that Lumberto Bava, you might recognize that last name, but Lumberto Bava serves, served as the first assistant director and that's Mario Bava's son who later directed Demons. Um, the soundtrack is one of the, the real kind of stellar notes in this film. Uh, the soundtrack is based off of the concept of juxtaposition, um, putting some really peaceful melodies, um, interspliced with some really funky disorienting kind of melodies. Um, it's done by a guy named Riz Orlani. Um, he's got a history in doing soundtracks in Mondo films and such too. Um, and, uh, yeah, basically you can find the soundtrack on Spotify and places like that. You should definitely give it a listen. It's really eerie once you've seen the film. Because once you've seen the film, those moments of juxtaposition where the soundtrack doesn't jive with what you're seeing, or even when it does and it's that eerie kind of funky jazzy bit, um, it's really strange how this film sticks with you. To the point where I've seen it only a handful of times even still in my life. Um, I'll never forget it even if I never watch it again. Um, but when I hear that soundtrack, it, 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 the soundtrack just does a good job of bringing those feelings back, which is... I mean, you have to respect that in all film. The idea behind films being, um, you know, to make you think and, make, and, and evoke emotion in you. Um, Cannibal Holocaust definitely evokes emotion and, and it, it, it makes you uncomfortable and makes you cringe and makes your skin crawl. And the soundtrack and that haunting vibe to it, it it's something that sticks with you. And, you know, it's still one of my favorite soundtracks. But it does bring back all of those shades from the viewing that really are, are kind of tough to sit with, which I think is uh, really interesting and, and definitely impressive the way they pull that off. Um, so anyway, now that all that technical, you know, the, those sides of things are out of the way, um, the concept of it is there's a, there's a little bit of a kind of a jab at the media and sensationalism and journalism and things like that. You can make the point that there is a, a like an, a moral theme to the movie, but then the movie kind of trips over itself. So, you know, um, the idea being that we have to show the, the most out there, brutal, bloody, this, that, the other type of stuff in order to catch the attention of viewers and shock them and all of that. Those like core principles of like Mondo filmmaking and sensationalist journalism. And, you know, it, it's kind of, you know, the idea that these people set out, the film crew set out to head to where these tribes live to um, film them. And if they weren't providing that level of, out there brutality or whatever, then the film crew is going to basically push them into it and ramp it up themselves, basically manipulate the situation to be as sensationalist and ridiculous to serve their purpose. Um, and, and how wrong that is, which that's all, that's all well, fine and good to make that point that, you know, sensationalism and media is wrong and look at the lengths they'll go to, to get the film that they want. You're onto something there. 
But then you create a movie that's so sensationalist and ridiculous with animal violence and all of these other things and gore and rape and all of these terrible things in it that you're kind of guilty of the same. So as much as Cannibal Holocaust does a good job of getting close to being something that is super um, kind of poignant almost uh, and and a, a commentary on the state of journalism and sensationalism in media... As soon as it starts to get up to that line, it falls on its face right on the other side of it and crosses that line completely by making its own film sensationalist, you know, mondo craziness. So it's tricky. It's problematic. It's definitely not an easy film to watch. There's a lot to this movie that, you know, it's way over the top. It's going to make your skin crawl. It's going to, it's going to put you kind of, you know, in an uncomfortable place and it's criticizing media that puts you in an uncomfortable place for the sake of it. So again, like I said, there's two camps here. There's one that says, this is just the, this is just like gore porn, you know, played out on, on the screen and it's garbage and it's just filth that's designed to shock you. And then there's another camp that says, no, man, they're criticizing the media that is just designed to shock you. It's all a criticism of that media. And the reality is somewhere in between because it is both. It criticizes that by doing it. Um, so it's a really tricky film in that regard. Um, it's why when I talk about this film with people, I don't say, I love that movie or I hate that movie. It's kind of like always got to be a greater conversation because it's a matter of there's a, it's done a lot in as far as horror is concerned. It's done a lot as far as the urban legend of the film is concerned. It's um, definitely paved the way for a lot of films that have come after it. I think that the its best chance at succeeding at being more than it is, it intentionally just flopped on its face in that regard. Because it, you know, a good director knows how to create a commentary and a critique of something while not falling into other traps, while not becoming the thing that it's criticizing, right? And a good director can handle that in, you know, with subtlety and, and, care. Now, I'm not saying that Diodato's not a good director or anything like that, and I'm not trying to shit on the guy. I'm just saying that one of the things I respect most in like the films that are just must-watch films is the ability to, you know, to show enough to make the point without, you know, becoming heavy-handed or ridiculous. And I think that the problem with Cannibal Holocaust is the two heads the two heads here that seem to be most important to Diodato in the making of this film. The criticism and the commentary and the plot, as well as convincing the viewer that it's real. The War of the Worlds kind of thing. Um, for those of you who don't know, War of the Worlds broadcast originally aired on, the, on a radio show and everybody freaked out thinking that the world was really being invaded. Um, that War of the Worlds broadcast kind of thing of convince them it's real and that will make it more frightening. Um, so in the efforts to make it look real, seem real, um, and all of that, it ends up crossing the subtlety line. And instead of it being a subtle but pointed commentary on sensationalism and mondo films, it just, it's like, 
you know, oh, sensationalism in media is bad, and, and now we're going to cut the head off a friggin' turtle, and we're going to put a girl on a stick from, you know, straight through her, and, you know, uh, it just goes over the top. So, yes, I think that Cannibal Holocaust had a point to make. I think it just tripped over its own shoelaces on its way to that point. Now, that doesn't mean that you throw the baby out with the bathwater. I think that there's still a lot of commentary to it that does make sense, and I think it is definitely a film that's, you know, if you're going to criticize sensationalism, the half that is the film crew in, I want to say it was Venezuela? I might be wrong on that, but the half that the half that is the film crew traveling into the jungle and filming these tribes definitely shows you the ugly side of sensationalism. But the problem is that it it shows you the ugly side of the sensationalism by being sensationalist media. So it's a, yeah. Now, aside from that, there's the fact that it plays into a very dangerous and racist stereotype about indigenous people. That being that, um, you know, these indigenous people are all a bunch of cannibals and they eat each other and they're savages and all of these other things that um, those those basic racist tendencies that are born out of fear of the unknown. And, you know, um, in the again, another opportunity where the film has to make a really solid point, but then kind of trips over itself is, you know, there's that whole who's the real monster? Well, well, we go there and who's the real savage? And I think there's even a part where the anthropologist says, you know, um, who the real savages are. And I hate that word savage. I understand that that's a loaded term. I'm only using it because it's referenced in the film so much. Um, So the anthropologist says, well, you know, who the real savages are. Are they in the jungle or here in the city or whatever, however he put it. And, you know, I get that. And he's absolutely right. That is something, but it's too much of a hit the nail on the head moment. It's too much like a beat you over the head with the subtext there to really play. You know, um, instead of it being something subtle and hinted at and shown, you know, over the course of the film, it's much more of a, it's not a scalpel, it's a chainsaw. And, you know, I think that that's okay. It's just, you know, we are trying to dive into the deeper theme here. Now, there's, this isn't the only film to do the whole indigenous people as cannibals and savages, um, that's a trope for a reason. It exists in a ton of films from that era and before. Um, but yeah, it's it, again, that being, you know, in order, they basically took two peaceful tribes that aren't, I mean, these tribes are real tribes and um, they're not cannibals. So they took two peaceful tribes and they, in order to show that the New Yorkers, the film crew were the savages, they built up these, these tribal people to be savages because they're not, you know? So there's, Again, it's that same concept of you have a point that you're trying to make and on the way to it, you just totally fucked it up. And I, so again, while I appreciate it and I think it's an important film, I think it's also important to talk about these other things. I think that, you know, caveats in uh, any kind of um, media, any kind of entertainment, any kind of commentary about the world, those caveats always exist. I mean, look at the massive pile of caveats you have for Lovecraft, for instance. Um, You can't talk about Lovecraft without going, okay, wait, he was a scumbag, he was racist, he was a, a, you know, sexist, misogynist piece of shit, but here's why this is important also. And I'm not saying that Diodato or even Cannibal Holocaust is of that same level, but I'm saying these caveats are important to talk about because uh, 
we we all still continue to watch these things. We continue to watch Cannibal Holocaust. It's still out there. Grindhouse, you know, has the Blu-ray. I own a copy of it. I'm not trying to act holier than thou. Um, it shows on television. It ran on Shudder. Um, we still view this media and watch this media. And it's important, though, for the people who are viewing it for the first time, um, maybe viewing it for the first time, not fully understanding some of these other things that are kind of also in there that can be problematic. I think it's important to draw, to shine a flashlight on it, to highlight that moment and say, look, appreciate this film, appreciate what it did for horror, appreciate what it can continue to do for horror and what it means, but you can't ignore all of this other stuff. You can't just say, okay, because this was important for found footage films and important for the shock factor and the video nasty phase and banned cinema and all of these other things. While this was important, you know, for all of those reasons, here's also some of the problems with it. Now, we're not saying because of those problems, throw it in the bin, forget it existed. But you need to know them also. You can't turn, your bl- turn a blind eye to them either. That's the important thing, in my opinion, at least. Um, there's a lot of outdated media that doesn't always hold up the same as it used to. Um, you know, you can watch a comedy from the, the early 2000s where there's terminology in there that'll make your skin crawl. Uh, Freddy vs. Jason, um, you know, there, there's a, a line with a slur against homosexual people. Um, things don't age well. And it's not that you have to toss them out and say, forget it, burn the film, burn, you know, burn the celluloid, strike it from the record. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that it's very important to still know and understand and learn and eventually, um, um, not eventually, but periodically update the uh, kind of the history around these pieces of media in order to keep them in the correct perspective. And that, that is something I feel strongly about. So, Cannibal Holocaust... I'll argue all day, every day, that it's a super important film. It is. It's a very important film. Um, It also has a huge, I mean, you know, it's got a long-running list of problematic material in it that we can also discuss. And I think that the two can go hand in hand, and we can continue to appreciate it for what it is. We can continue to view it. We can continue to talk about it. We just have to also then do the responsible side of noting the problem areas, not just because it's good to analyze this stuff and get it out in the open so that we don't make any of the same mistakes in the future so that we understand the mistakes that were made, but it's also good to help other people who are maybe coming to it new to understand what those problems are. Um, So yeah, it's not just about our own well, I feel better now that I made sure I said that that is wrong. It's not just about that. It's also about when we talk about these things, those people who are maybe just coming around to a film like Cannibal Holocaust, they know that going into it and they know that it's not a glorification of these things. They understand these problems and, you know, there's impressionable minds out there everywhere. And I think that it's important to have the whole conversation, not shy away from the ugly bits. There is one last part of Cannibal Holocaust that I would like to note here. And it's because I think it's from an area of the movie that a lot of people glaze right over. Um, They kind of cruise right by it. And there's a point in the beginning of the movie where the anthropologist from New York has gone out to the jungle to try to find the uh, film crew that was lost. When he gets there, he's talking to a local lieutenant who is going to help him get set up with guides and everything so they can go into the jungle and look for this uh, film crew. 
And at one point, the lieutenant and the anthropologist sit down and the lieutenant says to him, if hell holes like this didn't exist, I'm sure you would invent them. And I always liked that line. It's, it's a moment of just being kind of outside of everything else. I don't know. That line always stuck out to me. Um, it stuck out to me because, you know, the lieutenant just got, got done saying to the anthropologist, he said, you anthropologist, you're a special kind of something. Or He's basically saying the guy's strange because he's paying this lieutenant tons of money to take him into the jungle to try to find a film crew that's most likely dead and blah, blah, blah. But the way he says that, if hell holes like this didn't exist, I'm sure you would invent them. Um, that right there is kind of, you know, if you, if you, if you, peel away all the other stuff to this movie that right there is the idea that sensationalism in media is always going to be there and if it's not there we're going to make it and I think that that was a bit of a, a really interesting point because it it showed exactly what the film crew did that led to their bitter end they went somewhere where there were two tribal groups living in peace and and you know maybe they didn't get along with each other but they weren't you know facing the upheaval heaval they were about to um, the film crew went there and realized that it wasn't enough of a hellhole for their footage, so they made it an even bigger one and basically tormented these people in order to capture it. And that's what led to their death. Now, you know, again, I mean, that's my take on Cannibal Holocaust. I I, I have to say, I, th- I think it's, a, a like I said a million times already, it's a supremely important film. Just know that it comes with all of this other baggage. And if you sit down to watch it, know that you're not going to sit down with about like a box of popcorn and just hang out and watch Cannibal. Hey, everybody, climb on the couch. We're going to watch Cannibal Holocaust. That's not how this is going to go. It's an experience in a film. Um, I definitely recommend it for horror fans, especially fans who are okay with gore and, you know, exploitation type films and some really of the darker... If you can stomach that stuff, sure. Um, There's some trigger warnings I'd like to give about, you know, rape and animal cruelty, depending on the version you can get. There is that animal cruelty-free version that hopefully you can get. Um, But yeah, it's not a a film that you sit down with a tub of popcorn and just have a good old time watching. It's an experience that you need to kind of almost mentally prepare for. That being said, it's the granddad to all of the Blair witches and things like that that we have now. And it also is another keynote moment that found footage slash, you know, um, false flag kind of media. Um, Cannibal Holocaust is an important moment in the, you know, long history of that type of, of entertainment. So, yeah, aside from being, you know, one of the earliest, strangest, weirdest found footage films, it's also uh, kind of uh, fun to see a movie that. Wow, did I just call Cannibal Holocaust fun? I did. It's kind it is though, it's kind of fun to see this movie that created such a stir and such a fuss when it came out because I mean, knowing all of the stories and the campfires and the urban legends around Cannibal Holocaust, there's a lot of baggage to this movie. Um, and that makes it something that I think is irreplaceable in the world of horror. If you get a chance to check it out, um, I recommend it to the right kind of audience. I also think that there's an exercise here in understanding you know, um, when a concept goes too far or when, when an important piece of media carries a disclaimer with it. And this is definitely one of those times. Cannibal Holocaust quite possibly carries the biggest, most important disclaimer before viewing 
of all. Um, problematic, troubling, upsetting, yes. Important and, you know, um, a, a relic of horror, sure, absolutely. Um, and like I said, that's uh, going to do it for Cannibal Holocaust. I hope if you guys do watch it, you will reach out and let me know. You can, you know, hit me up on the Radio Creeps Twitter. It's uh, at Radio Creeps on Twitter. Um, also, I would appreciate it if you guys didn't mind, uh, you know, dropping a follow while you're there. That's the only social media for Radio for the Creeps at this time. So by all means, please uh, drop a follow on Twitter there and, and, and stay in touch with us. Let us know what you want, you know, to see on the show and how you'd like us to do things differently. Um, next episode, episode number eight is going to be the final girl and gender in horror. Uh, I, it's going to be another guest episode because it's the eighth episode. Um, for those of you who don't know, radio for the creeps is working. Season one is working off of four episodes a week, you know, one episode a week for four episodes, a week break, then one episode a week for four episodes, a week break, and then another segment of four episodes. Um, season one, all in, all told is going to be 12 episodes um, in those four episode segments. And each four episode segment is going to end with a guest session. The first one was um, Giallo and the American Slasher with uh, Wes Keltner. And now, um, you know, coming on episode eight, we're going to have fin the final girl and gender and horror. Um, and uh, I'm not going to spoil who the guest is, but the guest is a friend of mine who is insanely t intelligent um, super, super well-spoken and just super knowledgeable on all things horror. And I think they're going to bring something really fun to the next episode and something really, really, really remarkable to the, to episode eight. So, um, keep an eye out for that guys. And, uh, like I said, thanks for listening. I will catch you all next week.